Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. I think that's one of the things I learned most about our Savior is, is his humility. He paid the ultimate sacrifice, which we gave up two years of our life. He, you know, bled from every poor and suffered every pain and affliction that you know, mankind could possibly know to only be, you know, killed by the people whose sins and pains he, he just trying, suffered yeah. for. And and I think that was a big thing I learned is just this understanding of selfless service that, you know, it's not about, it's not about you. It's not about what you gave up. You know, you're only doing it for other people. Welcome back. It's Jordan. No Zach. Zach's here, but he's not going to be in the interview with us. Um, but today I'm seated with McKay Randall. And uh, it's been 10 years since we graduated high school. And we weren't really ever close in high school. We played basketball. Played basketball a little bit. We got together for pickup basketball. I always enjoyed it because to be honest, I didn't... Like you guys were like the guys from the other school, even though we went to the same school, but different like junior highs. So right, it's, right. it's like a, a good friendly rivalry going on there. Good, yeah. good smack talk. Anyways, McKay, what was the official name of the mission you served in? Uh, Ecuador, Guayaquil North. Awesome. So kind of backing up, why did you decide to serve a mission? Uh, you know, so I, you know, grew up in the church, you know, went to primary, baptized when I was eight. So it was always something I knew I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I think I standard kind of followed the model. Um, Learned in seminary about getting testimonies about the Book of Mormon. I, you know, prayed various times about the Book of Mormon throughout high school and, uh, you know, during my freshman year of college, which I did a year of college before I went on my mission because that was still when missionaries were 19 Yeah, when they went. And, you know, I had enough experiences where I knew it was true, knew it brought a lot of blessings to my life, and I was excited to share it with other people. Awesome. So you get your mission call. I imagine, were you home when you got your mission call? Uh, so I was at BYU. Okay. Uh, my mission call was sent to my house in Mesa. So I flew home for a weekend to open it. So there was maybe like, you know, five days where it sat on my kitchen table. My mom was staring at it every day, waiting for me to come home That's on the weekend to open it. Man. Yeah. And, you know, from a lot of patience. I, yeah. From what I can tell, it was never opened. It was, you know, it was perfectly sealed when I got home. I don't know if she looked beforehand, but... I think she waited. So that kind of put us in that moment. Like, what was it like holding your mission call and like opening it? Like, what were, what was going through your mind? Like, Oh, so, you know, I guess I want to say nerve wracking, but you're also so excited, you know, but yes, it's, it's really exciting. Um, yeah. So I only look back on it with, you know, just how excited I was. Yeah. Is what I remember. It is. It's like, for, at least for me, it was like instant adrenaline rush. As soon as I saw it, it's like, totally, this is changing my life. Totally. So you open up this mission call and you read that you're going to Ecuador, Guayaquil North. Right. Or Norte. Yeah. Yeah. I think it said North, but. Oh, okay. Yeah, Norte would Sp be. Spanish speaking. Spanish speaking. What were your thoughts? So my first thought was, I actually read. Did you know, did you know where it was on a map? I mean, I did know it was in South America. I did, I, you know, I knew it was close to the equator. Right. Too, so I knew it was, I knew it was like, you know, South America. Um, I had no idea if I pronounced Guayaquil right, which I actually pronounced it right the first time. Nice. I, you know, I read it and I said Guayaquil. And then after, I think the next 10 times I said it throughout that night when people were talking to me, I kept saying Guayaquil because that's kind of how it's spelled. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, did I say it right? I don't know if, you know, I don't even know how to pronounce this place. Finally looked it up and yeah, it's Guayaquil. So. Nice. <laughs> what were, what were your biggest concerns going out? Uh, you know, I, so my, I think, you know, in your call packet, um, they give you information on your mission president. So I'll tell you, you know, yeah. have a little bio, have their picture. And my mission president was from Columbia, him and his wife. And, you know, going off of the picture, it looked like, you know, I, it wasn't, it didn't look like a familiar face, obviously it was a couple from Columbia. And so I was actually kind of nervous about, you know, what that would be like, you know, whether, cause, cause I was really excited to go on a mission for the you know, that kind of relationship that missionaries get with their mission president. 
Um, so I was, you know, that was kind of the first thing I saw that I was like, oh, that'll be interesting experience for me, you know, maybe different than different cultures and yeah, language. Di- yeah, yeah. Different than, you know, what you hear about when missionaries come home about their great experiences, their mission presidents that, you know, wasn't totally sure what the relationship would be like, which, um, you know, I ended up loving my mission president just as much as anyone could love their mission president. So turned out great. And, you know, he was a wonderful person, but that was kind of, I think maybe the first kind of question I had is what that would be like. Yeah. And it turns out he doesn't speak a word of English either. So there was, you know, there was, it was even on my mission, there was maybe six months of me learning the language where, you know, we never even communicated. That's you know? crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So you get your mission call, you're going to Ecuador, you go to the MTC first, the missionary train center, and they kind of teach you how to be a missionary and you know, the language and maybe some of the lessons that you'll be teaching. And then you get on an airplane, you're going to Ecuador and it becomes reality real fast. Mm-hmm. What was the moment like arriving in Ecuador? So I, uh, so I came from, I did, I did three weeks in Provo and then I did six weeks in Peru. Oh, okay. So I kind of been acclimated to the, you know, South American vibe a little bit, but it was kind of, it was kind of a, you know, it was kind of a ruse a little bit where I'm in the MTC, which is, you know, funded by the church. It's really nice, good food. And I'm sitting there the whole time telling myself, oh, you know, so this is South America. Like I could do this. You know, this isn't too bad. And meanwhile, I'm with a ton of Americans, you know, the MTC president's American, you know, it's it's pretty Americanized. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, okay. This is a cultural, this is a different experience. Yeah, wow. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I I can handle this. This is a different culture, but I think I can do this, you know. And then, uh, then I get to Ecuador, which is, you know, the airport the airport's actually still pretty nice in ecuador truthfully so walking you know going through the airport yeah this is yeah it wasn't it wasn't too bad you know it turns out still rich people fly in those countries and they like nice airports and things like that so the airport wasn't too bad but i remember um you know i i was we were received by the assistants which were both american and so i come off the plane and there you know i was maybe flying with two other no three three other americans from peru so we were flying together and only the assistants were there. We're kind of sitting there waiting and, you know, thinking, well, what are we doing? And they told us that there were simultaneously all the Latino missionaries were coming from the Columbia MTC. The mission president, and his wife were receiving them at a different gate. Mm. And so, you know, we were kind of sitting there waiting for them and eventually met up. So that's the first time I met my mission president. At that point, there was like 10 missionaries that came from the Columbia MTC. And that, so, you know, there's four of us Americans Ten Colombians. So the, president the majority became the yeah. minority real quick. Yeah. And yeah, so pretty quickly, you know, we had no idea what was going on when we we're hopping on a bus. Everyone's speaking a different language now. Yeah. And I, I, so I guess my first impressions, you know, of seeing it was a lot of concrete buildings, a lot of like cinder block, you know, they build everything out of cinder block there. Uh, it's humid, it's hot and just kind of tropical too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's tropical. Yeah. Guayaquil's on the coast. So it's uh yeah, yeah. Super humid. Um, you know, beautiful, like so lush and green, dirty, you know, just <laughs> trash everywhere. Um, you know, kind of just typical, I think typical experience of, you know, your first time looking at a third world country and, you know, realizing the differences between, you know, with the infrastructure and cleanliness and things like that. Were there any like, like mannerisms that were new to you that people in Ecuador have? Oh yeah. They, uh, the best one is they point with their lips. So they'll tell you, you know, it's that thing over there and they purse their lips and, you know, like a kissing face and try to point to something. And, and that's something I think I still do today. Really? And it's still, you know, it'll, it'll come out every now and then, but it, it works. Like it was, it was one that I converted to pretty quickly because, you know, your hands are full and you want to point and your lips aren't doing anything. So you just point with your, so for the first few months, you're like, what are they doing? You know, was there anything kind of funny? Was it, was it like pointing with your hand, like disrespectful or like um, were there things that you kind of had to learn to like, oh, okay, this was disrespectful. There weren't things. So they would do, they would do different things with, uh, when you were measuring how tall something was, if it was a human, you would hold your hand, like with your palm facing away from you with your pinky parallel to the ground. So you're like your thumb pointing up, like, like the, that's how you'd measure you a do human. this. Like, yeah. You wouldn't like how we do in America, you put your palm down You yeah. say, oh yeah, they're like the, you know, my child's like this tall now and you'd your, your palm is facing down to the ground in Ecuador, you know, you have your hand like this for a human, but dogs and animals are measured with your palm facing down to the ground. So people would get confused when you're like, you know, trying to tell them how big something is or, you know, your little brother or whatever at home and you're doing it the other way. And and they're kind of like, you know, why are you, why are you referring to your brother? 
you know, like, like, why are you measuring him like an animal? Which is like, cause he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't met my brother. Um, and then the other thing was like, you said there's like, obviously it's a different language. Were there any words that you stumbled on or maybe there's like a miscommunication? Like you thought they said this or they thought you said something and it kind of turned into a funny situation. Uh, yes. Um, and I don't, is that like every day? <laughs> not, yeah. Eventually, eventually I learned it. So, so there was this one time we were teaching, um, we were teaching this like a uh, 15 year old girl who was living with a member of the church. So like, you know, this like 17 or 16 or 17 year old boy who was a member of the church, they kind of like moved in together, you know, kind of a weird situation, but him and this younger girl, not married, like boyfriend, girlfriend, like his parents weren't around. Like it was just two teenagers. And his parents together. were around. Like it was the weird, it was the weirdest thing. Like they literally they moved just, in like okay. next door to his parents. Like it, it was a weird thing. And his parents were kind of just like, Oh, you can't control him. You know, like he just going to do what he wants. So, you know, it was a weird thing. But anyway, so we we're teaching this, we we're teaching this girl and, um, I don't remember, I don't remember what the situation was, but I was trying to make a reference to a, uh, I was trying to make a ref. I was trying to ask her about a pet, like a pet animal. And I didn't know the word for that. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll just say dog, you know, like she'll, she'll get what I'm saying. I'll just use the word dog. <laughs> I know where you go. And I used the word. It's so like, you know, conjugated it for her to apply to her. So, you know, a female dog. So instead of perro, perra, and, uh, which, you know, which in English, a female dog is technically the B word. The B word, right. But yeah. in Spanish, that actually is Yeah, in the Spanish, B word that still well. applies. And so all you do is you add an A to the end of, you know, the dog word. And now you've got the B word. And so I'm talking to her and I, you know, basically called her the B word. You know, I kind of said like, are you a, you know, B word? And, and my companion <laughs> immediately goes, you know, he kind of says under his breath, like, that's wrong. <laughs> like, you did that wrong. Was he American? No, he, 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 he was from, uh, he was from, um. The Dominican Republic oh, okay. and watched a lot of American TV so he growing up. So he knew. Yeah. And he essentially knew the bad words. So he like, you know, just kind of goes, you know, that, that was wrong. And I was like, uh oh. And, and then the girl says to me, you know, hey, I don't like that word. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh, that was, that was my worst one. And I think from that moment on, I never said a word. I wasn't positive what it meant. And so I don't think I ran into that problem ever again, but. That was a pretty bad one. You, you yeah. live be, be careful about using dog. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then the other question, kind of the last question of like this lightning round is um, this lightning round that's taken longer than lightning <laughs> minutes. But uh, uh, like, did you ever get sick or like I, to me, I imagine 90% people, 99% of people that go to a third world country, get sick. Yeah. You're, you're probably right with those numbers. We did have a, uh, we had rules of certain things we weren't allowed to eat. So we weren't allowed to eat like pig. We weren't allowed to eat, um, at the Ecuadorian Chinese restaurants for whatever reason. Uh, you know, like certain things, like we had certain guidelines, but I think of all the Americans that I knew, every single one of them got sick for at least a week. Like, you know, I had like a week where they were bedridden Some stomach virus or yeah, something, which I, uh, never had except for one night where, um, uh, I uh, had a had a good experience, terrible experience actually. Great and terrible. A ate something, and you know, went to bed feeling fine. Woke up in the middle of the night with my stomach feeling so sick, I didn't know what to do. And before I could uh, get out of my bed, I ended up pooping Some my pants. Something else came out. Something else came out, and uh, ended up pooping my pants right there in my bed. So. You know, some people pee the bed every now and then. I had a I had a situation where I was so sick that I pooped the bed, and uh, yeah, that wasn't fun. That's pretty impressive. I uh, my, my poor companion, but you know that's that's definitely a gross thing. No one wants to hear that, but it's um, it's real. It's part of the, it's part of the experience. Be prepared because you know something's going to happen, and uh, yeah, just don't feel bad when it does. Yeah, wise words. So. Let's get back to kind of your mission and your experiences as a missionary. You're on the mission and you're in this foreign country speaking a foreign language. And I know you're teaching people about Jesus, but you're also bringing people together and families, especially I think everywhere in the world that's kind of let's, let's bring people together as families and bring the whole family to Jesus Christ. So I know the family proclamation kind of played a big role in your mission. Like tell us about, have your experiences teaching families or individuals and yeah so i um so there was 
I mean, a lot of people don't know this because I think it was kind of something that was pretty mission centric, like missionary centric. But in 2013, the uh, church came out with this big policy. I'm sure you, you were on your mission. I was on a time, mission. Which would which this the big? It was kind of the shift of advance my work. Is that what it was in English? They did this big worldwide broadcast. Yes, Do you remember yes, that? Yes. And they kind of they kind of talked about a reactivating not you know not uh not active people not active members of the church, like let's focus more on not just baptizing more, but also reactivating people. And they also had this new focus on, on families together. So, um, so that happened, you know, maybe when I had like six months left in my mission and, you know, it was super cool. Cause there was this whole new focus of, Hey, let's focus on families, which, which was always a focus. Yeah. You always focus but, on families. But, at, but before this, you, um, you know, you still had, you still kind of baptized who was willing to do it, you know? So I, I think I would say before this would happen, you would, you would kind of show up at a house, whoever ended up being interested enough to come sit into your lessons, you'd, you know, you try to get everyone in. If the dad or your older brother wasn't interested, you were kind of like, okay, well, you know, we're just going to baptize these three who are interested and, you know, we'll, we'll try our best with the other ones. If they don't want to, we'll still move ahead with these three. I think the kind of the new shift changed it to where it would be, Hey, don't baptize those three yet. Like give it a few more months to try to baptize them all together and make this a family thing. Yeah which, you know, is great. And that was the direction, you know, that the, that the apostles and prophet gave to the missionaries. And so that was like our new, you know, that was the new focus. So we met a, um, we met a couple, uh, you know, this, this, uh, I met a couple who was really old, you know, they're maybe like, you know, not really old. They're like in their sixties. Their daughter was a member of the church and that's how we found them is the mom came to church one day. And we're like, oh, cool. You know, she came to church. Her daughter's a member. Like, let's go visit them. And we go visit them. We find out that she and her husband live together, but they're not married. You know, her and her, you know, this guy who she's had a bunch of kids with. Yeah. You know, they're both like 65, but they're not married. And before the church's guidance, I think we would have just, you know, most missionaries would be like, okay, great. Nice to meet you. Like, keep coming to church. We're going to go find people who are married. We'll go find people who, uh, you know, aren't, you know, aren't married because it's really hard to get people married in Ecuador just because it costed like $50 at the time, which is money people don't have, you know, people don't have $50 laying around. And they also, um, they also have a really, you know, a lot of like requirements with the documents, which we can, we can get into later if there's well, time. We, we talked about it a story. little bit, but it's just, it's a, it's a pretty extensive like background. So um, what they would do is, so, you know, Ecuador is a third world country. They had these years and years of basically keeping records on paper, you know, like in books at like these county offices where if you were born, you'd kind of, you know, they'd write this record on a piece of paper and it would just live in this book. They, fi they finally started kind of trying to digitize all these documents and, you know, make sure they were all correct. So, so Ecuador came out with this policy where if you wanted to get married, you had to make sure all of your records were in the computer correctly and all of your parents' records were in the computer correctly and all of their parents' records were in the computer correctly, which means if, you know, your grandparents' records weren't in the computer correctly, you had to travel to the little town they were born in. You had to, you know, get like a record of the piece of paper that this thing was written on and then submit it somewhere where it could be uploaded to the computer. So it was like this, you know, this a ton huge of family deal. history yeah. just to... Get yeah. Married. Yeah. So, you know, not only did you have to spend $50, you also had to spend bus tickets and travel around everywhere and get these documents and upload them into this computer. And only then once, you know, every box was full on your family tree, then they would be like, okay, now you can get married, you know, because you did all this work of updating our record. So it's kind of like the government just put the work on, they said, Hey, if you want to get married, you need to do all this work that, you know, we should be doing, but <laughs> You know, we're going to make you do it. Gotcha. So people are just like, we're living together. I'm not technically married, but yeah. we're married in our hearts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, so yeah, it's this big thing, but th this family, uh, when we met them, the, the dad was really into some evangelical church. Like he was really, he was really religious, but he was kind of like, um, he was kind of, you know, looked down on everyone else around his family because they weren't reading the scriptures as much as he was. And, you know, he was, you know, more holier than thou type. Mm -hmm thing. So this guy was, you know, r really just, you know, the type of person that would kind of lock himself away in his room and read the Bible and then come out and tell everyone how good he is. And that sounds pharisaical. How, how bad, yeah. How bad they are. Cause you know, they're not focusing as much as he is. So we start teaching him and, and the, the, we, we spent a lot of time teaching just him first because he was, you know, kind of the more resistant when the mom was already coming to church. 
Um, so, you know, she was, she was someone who had a good background, already liked it, you know, just needed to get, uh, married. The, um, but the dad needed to find, needed to get a testimony. So we spent a lot of time working with him. And one day, you know, we start talking to him about baptism and he's like, well, I'm getting baptized. I'm getting baptized in my church. They're, they just want me to get married first, which we're like, that is true. Like you do need to get married first. Um, but you know, there's like some other requirements for baptism. Like not just anyone can baptize, you know, there's a certain way you have to do it. He's like, hold on. And he goes and gets this piece of paper and he brings it out to us. And he says, this is what my pastor gave me. These are all the requirements you have to do to get baptized. And it had a lot of scriptures about, you know, having faith and repenting and, you know, things from the old Testament that, you know, we would have agreed with. And so we look, me and my companion look over the piece of paper and we go, all right, this is good. Like you do need to repent. You need to do all these things, but there's an important thing missing on this piece of paper. And he goes, what are you talking about? And we're like, this doesn't say anything about the authority to baptize. And he says, what are you talking about? And he said, you'll remember uh, Jesus Christ didn't go to just anyone to get baptized. He went to John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was someone who had power from God to baptize. He was an authorized person. And so we told him, you know, that's why we're here. We're here because, uh, you know, we are people who have that authority and we can teach you all about it. But we're people who have the authority to baptize you the same way Jesus Christ was baptized. You can have a true baptism. And, and from that point, he was really excited. You know, he was kind of like, you know, his eyes opened and he said, you know, like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And so we started teaching about the Book of Mormon. He started reading the Book of Mormon, got a testimony. But now uh, we had to teach them about, uh, you know, getting married. And him and his wife had such a bad relationship because he was this, you know, mean kind of, yeah. you know, always telling her how bad she was. Um, you know, even though she was a really nice lady. she Not being spiritual enough. Exactly. It, it was really funny because it was this perfect situation where he was always following the letter of the law, you know, like reading his scriptures. And and she was like, didn't read her scriptures, but super nice lady. You know, she looked at everyone, was always, you know, really charitable. And I think she was someone who lived, you know, the, the spirit of the law. You know, if you want to say like she lived the gospel, whereas he was, you know, checking the boxes. So it's it a really funny situation between the two of them. And uh, so what we started doing is we started having lessons where we had only read the family proclamation. We'd sit down with both of them and we talked about, you know, so by then they had a, a basis of um, prophets and modern prophets and the fact that prophets lead Christ church today. And uh, we sat down with this document and told them, this is what God has said about the family today. And this is what God wants you to be. You know, this is the type of man that God wants you to be. Uh, you know, this is the type of father he wants you to be. This is the type of husband he wants you to be. And we started reading it. And I think we would do like maybe two paragraphs a day. And, you know, maybe share some scriptures and, and just talk about it. And slowly, you know, we worked our way through the whole family proclamation. And this guy's attitude totally changed. Because he always wanted to be obedient, right? He, he always wanted to do what God wanted him to do. But he just didn't know. He didn't, he didn't know the way, you know, the proper way to be a father, proper way to support and love his wife. And, you know, we taught him and we saw him put these changes into action and finally, you know, treat his wife with respect and not, you know, understand that she's different from him and has a different role from him. And you know, he has this role to her, um, you know, he has to be more loving and their relationship totally changed that within, you know, two weeks, I think, you know, they were both excited to get married, both excited to get baptized. And, you know, they were all for it. And, and by then my mission was kind of coming to a close. Like I only had a few weeks left. And so we had a baptism planned for this couple on my very last, my very last weekend of my entire mission. Wow. And it was going to be great, you know, like baptize this couple we'd worked with for so long and, you know, had this That's a storybook ending. Yeah. And, uh, and so they go to get married and the, you know, marriage place, this County office that where you go to do all your records and everything told her that she had one record that, you know, she, that was missing. And so she had to travel to some, you know, four hours away to get some records. Oh. So it turned out she wasn't able to get baptized. She wasn't able to get married. So they weren't able to get baptized that day. So they got baptized a week after I left. Oh, it was just kind of sad, <laughs> but I got to see pictures and, you know, they still got baptized. Yeah. They still got baptized. Married. Yeah. And they're, and they're still doing great in the church. You know, he's, he's been in the elders quorum callings and they, yeah. It was great. You know, it was, it was the fairy, the fairy tale ending, but you, uh, you not only helped these people like come to Jesus, but you helped them come back to each other in marriage. Totally. Yeah. If it, it felt like, um, family counseling, which I don't think, you know, I think you should stay away from as missionary, like, you know, kind of stay yeah, don't in your lane. Those. Yeah. Yeah. Stay in your lane, you know, do what you're called to do. Uh, but 
you know, what, what happened was I think we taught him, you know, it's the classic, we kind of taught him correct principles and true doctrine, you know, and he put those changes in effect and, uh, you know, through his faith of making those changes, I think it made them both a lot happier and he saw those changes and, you know, and, and they were true converts for that reason. But that was, that was just the most incredibly eye-opening experience to me to sit down, you know, and, and just read the family doc proclamation. That's, you know, pretty much all we did is just read the family proclamation felt the power from that document. And it was everything these people needed to know to make these huge changes in their lives of getting married after, you know, 40 years of not ever thinking it was important enough to get married. 40 years of not wanting to get married. Who knows how many years of not being happy with each other? Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you learned a lot. You're, you're married and have a family and I'm sure you've learned a lot on how to apply, you know, those principles in your marriage from studying it from your mission. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Incredible experience. And, and I think more than anything, just, you know, a testimony of the, the family proclamation is true is, you know, carries with it so much other weight about the men who wrote that document and the revelation they received and, you know, it, it also increased my testimony that, you know, what happens when you follow church's guidance and the brethren guide, you know, brethren's guidance. And, and so, yeah, it's been great for me. <laughs> awesome. Um, I was going to ask you what, and that sounds like that was definitely an experience that you had that kind of changed your, your perspective and, and your life, you know, as a person forever moving on. Totally. Were the other experiences that you had where, um, I don't know. You kind of go on your mission as one person and then you have these experiences and they change who you are. Were there, were there some other experiences that maybe change your perspective on life or, or maybe helped you to develop a, a deeper testimony of a certain principle? Yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of a boring answer because it's the first principle of the gospel. But um, I think like my understanding of how faith works is, is that change for me, you know, did change what, you know, my trajectory and just the way I lived the gospel, the way I, you know, tried to accomplish any of my goals in life. And, and so I guess I would, uh, with that answer, I'd stop and say like, you know, as you're on your mission, I would, you know, kind of try to stop regularly and ask yourself, you know, what did I learn about faith this week or from this experience? Or, because I think that's one of the greatest things you can learn on your mission is, it is a time where you get to just spend all day trying to receive revelation and trying to live the gospel and trying to, you know, put these principles into action. And essentially what you're doing is just figuring out how faith works for you and how, what faith does, you know, yeah. the, how the principle of faith works because you're doing stuff all day. And, um, and so I think that was, you know, a huge thing. And, and another story, you know, so, so the story that goes along with that is kind of another marriage story where we're trying to get another couple married and so we're at this big government building to help them get, you know, get their get marriage the license. Yeah. And, uh, they had, they had all their documents in, they were just, we were just waiting to go or they had their documents. They had to go like, you know, basically it's this big bureaucracy. You had to go meet with someone to input the documents into the system. They would certify that it was all done. And then you'd have to, you know, kind of wait in another line to go actually get married. And so we walk up to the window, the ticket counter where we get our ticket and they give us this ticket and it says, you know, number 600 something on it. You know, that's what the ticket says, which don't think twice about it. I look up and I see that the number they're on was number 27. Oh my goodness. Okay. And they look up and I, and you know, and this isn't the most motivating thing. Obviously we wanted them to get baptized, but it was also the last weekend of the month, which, you know, as missionaries, you have all these goals. And so I think we easily could have just been like, okay, too bad. You know, like it's too long. Oh, and the other funny thing is I look back at this ticket and it gives you an estimated wait time and our estimated wait time was 10 hours. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which I was like, why that's are you ridiculous. even, why are you even, why is like, your just system? Tell us to come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That's what it should say. It should, you should stop giving out numbers. Yeah. Like if, if the estimated wait time goes past when you're open, you need to stop giving out yeah. numbers, like turn me away. You know? So I was, I was cracking up at that. So I look at this ticket, it says, you know, 600 something on it. 10 hour wait time. Like, this is so funny, you know, but it was the last weekend of the month. They needed to get baptized and married that day so that they could get baptized the next day so they could get confirmed on Sunday so that they, you know, their yeah. baptism could count yeah. towards the monthly goal that we had in our <laughs> zone. And, um, and, you know, so we, um, so we got this ticket and kind of thought, you know, we had two options. Obviously we could just leave and say, okay, tried, you know, like nothing you can do. Or, uh, we thought we could, you know, try to at least ask around and try to figure something out. And what we figured out in talking to some of the members is that, 
the person who ran that like government building was actually a member of the church. We didn't know him, but you know, it was, we were like, Oh, maybe he'll, you know, meet with us. And so we, uh, you know, try to like talk to his secretary, kind of go around and talk to some, you know, he was like this big fancy, like government guy. Yeah, he's a big deal. Ran, yeah. Ran this whole, you know, like thing. And, uh, so we're like, Oh, maybe he'll meet with us. And so, you know, his secretary phones in and says there's some missionaries here. And, and all he has time for is we poke our heads in and he goes, you know, Hey missionaries, what can I do for you? And we're like, Hey, we're trying to get this couple married. And, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have the marriage forms at all these other buildings we went to, cause which we had to do earlier that day. Um, and he goes, what, you know, they didn't have the marriage forms at that other building. And we're like, no. And he immediately hops on the phone starts and he picks up his phone and he starts screaming at someone. And he's, you know, says like, Hey, I just heard that they didn't have any of the marriage forms at this place. And if that's, you know, so-and-so's fault, then I want you to, you know, reprimand him right now. And like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and we're sitting there like, dude, like, we're not here about punishing someone. We just like, can you help to get us? people married? <laughs> yeah. Can you help us get this person married? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go talk to so-and-so. And so then he's like, you know, but I got to go. And so we're like, okay. So it basically, you know, so we had to go to three different tables to get this done. Basically, he got us to the first table, but we still had to wait for that. 10 hour wait was still like for the third ta table or something. So it didn't really help us that much. But what we did figure out was we learned his name, you know. And so after we went to the first table, someone helped us, you know, told us everything we needed. And we're waiting in this 10 hour line to go to the next table where we'd input these documents. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And, you know, we're, we're kind of thinking like, oh, maybe it'll go faster. And so finally we wait for like an hour and it's going, you know, at the rate that it would take it's 10 hours really, to it, get it, in. It wasn't faster. It wasn't it faster. Jump up to like number 400. Or so something. finally me and my companion just kind of, you know, start walking back and forth by the, by the table of people. You can imagine a government building, you know, there's these booths of tons of government workers that are like, you know, taking people's documents. I imagine this is like the DMV yeah, on steroids. Yeah, it's exactly like, like the DMV on steroids. And, uh. And so finally, like I, you know, some couple leaves one of the booths and I, right as I was passing it and I kind of make eye contact with this girl that's working at the table and I say, Hey, uh, you know, Alexis, which is the, the government guy's name he said, Hey, Alexis said you could help us. And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Come sit down. Hurry. And she like has us, you know, doesn't even let us sit down. She takes the documents. She like hurries and does them and, uh, and puts them into the doc, the, the computer and is like, okay, you're good. And now, you know, and that was it. That was the 10 hour wait is, you know, I, I kind of dropped this guy's name on this person said, Hey, you know, can you help us? You know, basically we cut in line <laughs> in front of all these people, which, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's, you know, strategy you take with you, <laughs> but they got married, you know, they got married within two hours and, uh, and they were able to get baptized the next day and they were able to get confirmed and, you know, they were happy. They were able to get baptized. And, and so it's, it's that idea that I think, you know, before my mission, I would have just thought, oh, that's just, you know, being pushy or whatever, you know, that's the, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have called that faith, you know, that, hey, let's find a new, new solution. Let's figure something out. Let's try to get this done. Uh, but after my mission, I can see that that is exactly what faith is, is faith is, you know, taking a step forward when you don't really know how you're going to solve the problem, but you know, you're doing something that God wants you to do. You know, you know, you're on the right path, but you're not sure if, um, you know, what the, whether you should step forward yeah. or not. And, uh, and, you know, so I think that, I think that's such a huge lesson is, you know, you learn that faith is really all about action. That that's, that's what God, you know, at the end of the day, he wants faith to inspire us to make changes in our lives. You know, usually that's repentance, you know, oftentimes it's making covenants or, you know, going on missions or getting married or doing things like that. But that's really what it's all about is, you know, this belief bringing you to doing something. And, and I think that idea has just blessed me my whole life, you know, spending two years of studying faith and, and, you know, sitting down and thinking, okay, so what would faith inspire me to do right now? Like if I were Nephi, you know, if, if I were Nephi, a person of immense faith, what would I do right now and doing it and then seeing that it actually worked, you know, seeing that I got this couple married within two hours, you know, and it was, they shouldn't have gotten married yeah. that day. Uh, you realize, wow, you know, like, you know, God, God made it happen because of faith, you know, because someone had faith and, and did something and these people wanted to get married and this lady helped us, you know? And so, so I think, you know, I'm sure everyone can, relate to how their testimony of faith has grown on their mission. But to me, that's just the biggest thing. When I, when I look back on my mission, 
I just think it was just two years of all I did was learned how faith works and, and what it means. That's awesome. And I'm sure that's been a foundation for you since then. Totally. It's been 10, it's been 10 years since I graduated high school. Yeah. So what, eight, nine years or seven years? Yeah. I got mission. home. I got home in 2014. Yeah. May. So it'll almost be what? Nine years in May? No, seven. Seven from then, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I was, there's so many things that you said that I thought of, but one thing that, that really rang true for me is for someone, maybe not of our faith or even in our faith. Sorry, I keep saying faith in our, like, you know, in member yeah. of the church, but we're talking about faith. Faith is an action. Everything that we do is guided by faith. Like if you go to the microwave and you press a button, you physically press it expecting something going to happen, but you don't know it will. Right. And that's faith. And, uh, when you're talking about like this, this 10 hour wait that you, you made all these d- movements and you didn't, weren't sure how you're going to accomplish this goal to get these people baptized within, you know, your, your, your missionary month, monthly baptism, goal, right. which is kind of funny that you're going <laughs> cause sometimes it, it works, sometimes yeah. it doesn't, but, um, elder Suarez came and he gave a devotional. I don't know if you remember this It's probably a year or two ago. I don't know if you were around it's for the, the single adults and, and recently married. Anyways, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but this is what he said. He said, when Nephi and his brothers were to go get the plates, they knew what the goal was. They didn't know the right steps to get there. And so there was like three times where they tried two times they tried it and they failed. And for a lot of people, they'd be like, well, that, that was like mistakes. Like that, that was like the wrong, that wasn't right. the right way. Like the, both, both of the times they failed were correct. Right. They were acting on faith to make something happen. And then what he said was, he was answering a question and, and this sister had asked a question of how come, how come there's some mistakes in the church? Like how come well, like we don't get it right the first time or the leaders may say something or do something that hurts someone or, you know, that they didn't intend to, but like, why, why are these, these mortal mistakes? And he's like, we don't, we don't look at Nephi and reprimand him and his brothers and say like, you messed up, you know, like we don't get frustrated with them. Like we, we recognize the faith that they had and that they didn't have steps. They had the goal and that's life. Like we get the goal. We don't get the steps. Right. And so you just move forward with faith. And yeah, like you might fail at some points, but it's like, that's, that's like a worldly term. Like you learn and you grow through the process. And I love that your faith, as long as I've known you, McKay, and I don't know you super well, but I know you're a cheery person. You're a pretty happy guy. And it sounds like you just had this optimism, like this is going to work out. Like we're going to make it happen. And it's a combination of like faith, not blind faith, but like action. Mm -hmm. Just like, it's going to happen. It'll work. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. But, uh, but then again, it goes to like, okay, so that didn't work, but it doesn't mean I wasn't acting in faith, you know, yeah. like it'll work some, like we'll make it work. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I remember, um, I remember one time we had a state conference in my mission and they, you know, there was like this huge state conference, uh, you know, in the stake I happened to be serving in and it was all about missionary work. Like they were all, you know, trying to get the members really oh, excited about missionary, missionary work. Yeah. And so we're like, you know, we leave the state conference. We're like, oh my gosh, let's go visit as many members as we possibly can over the next few hours. And let's like get referrals because they're probably all amped up. They're like super excited. You know, they're like, they just had all this lesson about how they need to support the missionaries. Like, let's go take advantage. And we go to, we go to visit some guy and we sit down and we say, hey, you know, so what did you think about state conference? And he, you know, said something like, uh, you know, so-and-so doesn't know how to work a projector. Like I learned that. (laughs) And that we were like, seriously, dude, like you just sat through two hours of, you know, like member missionary work. Like that's all everything was focused on. And the only thing you're going to say to us right now is you learned that someone doesn't know, you know, because someone messed up working the projector or something during state conference. And, and so then I, you know, then we were like, uh, you know, we were kind of like, well, you know, like, do you know any non-members? And it turned out his mom wasn't a member. He's like, yeah, my mom's not a member. You know, she likes to come sometimes. And we kept trying to commit him to like do something, but he kept being like, no, my mom doesn't, my mom's not interested. My mom's not interested. Like, don't even try with my mom. So finally we kind of got, you know, we're like, okay, this isn't going nowhere. So we go, look, just read the book of Mormon with your mom. All right. You know, just, just do that. And, uh, and you know, and, and we're out of here. You know, we're kind of like, it was kind of like, let's cut our losses. Like, let's not waste any more time yeah. with this guy who's not going to do anything. And, uh, and I left and I left, I uh, distinctly remember leaving that meeting and just kind of being upset. Like, man, I can't believe I just wasted so much time talking to this guy. Like he did not want to give us a referral. Like he was not what we were looking for. And we've only got so many more hours to, um, you know, take advantage of this state conference. Like, 
that was too bad. We wasted so much time there. We should have left earlier, you know? And three weeks later at church, this guy walks up to us and says, hey, my mom's ready to get baptized. (laughs) And we're like, what? And he goes, yeah, I read the Book of Mormon with her and she's ready to get baptized. And I just remember immediately, you know, feeling, obviously feeling super excited, but I immediately remembered that emotion I felt of thinking, you know, being so upset at him. And I mean, I wasn't actually that upset at him, right? But, but being, you know, upset at myself for wasting time and also kind of thinking that he wasn't going to support you know, support the missionaries at all. And it was kind of, you know, I kind of just pictured this, you know, just, uh, you know, that Heavenly Father clearly had this plan. I, you know, I just pictured him smiling at me like, yeah. Mickey, you had no yeah. clue, dude. Like, you you're, know, you're just like, he's like complaining about the projector and you're yeah, complaining yeah. about him complaining about the projector. Exactly. He's like, just like, dude, <laughs> let me do it. You know, like you did, you did what you're supposed to do. You know, you went and visited him. Like you did that, but you know, like it's not up to you, you know, it's not up to like, you're not the one who to get baptized. You weren't like, so, yeah, you yeah. weren't supposed to convert his mom that day, you know, like you did what you were supposed to do. I took care of the rest, you know, and, and that was just such a sweet experience for me to be that, you know, that sometimes, but you know, the experience both sides, like sometimes you act and it doesn't work and you think, what was the point of that? You know, what did my faith bring me with that? And sometimes, you know, then God just does the rest and he turns out your faith, you know, however you act in faith, he kind of, you know, he kind of takes what you give him and he, you know, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. You learned that. That's a, that's a beautiful lesson for life. Yeah. Um, you definitely learn that on your mission that you just do, you do the best you can do. You and, do you as best as you can yeah. and I'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, how did your relationship with the savior change during your service? And it kind of sounds like you, you've answered that right there, but I mean, versus like your testimony going out versus right. like the end and how it had grown and yeah. you know, the, the, you know, I think, uh, I think the biggest thing for me is I realized, I just kind of realized, learned more about the, the characteristics of Jesus Christ. So, you know, you have the chapter in preach my gospel that teaches you all about his characteristics and you study those a lot. And that's a lot of fun on your, you know, that's, that's kind of like a treat on your missions when you get to study those, you know, you find a day where you, you like finally know the doctrine, like, Hey, now I'm going to learn. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. I'm going to try to focus on charity today. And, and, you, as a missionary, you sacrifice a lot to go be there, you know, so, so you, you know, you have a life, like you're an 18 year old, you're in the prime of your life. You got tons of friends, you, you know, maybe got into a good college, like you're on this trajectory to do something, you know, like be successful in your life. And you took a, you know, you put your life on hold for two years to go teach these random people about Jesus Christ and about his restored These people church. that like might not like you yeah. or say mean things these to you. These people who like literally like spit I, at you or yeah, something. Yeah, these people who like you knock on their door and they go, dude, you're wasting your time. Like you should have stayed home. You know, like that happened. You know, I, oh, tons. Yeah, yeah, all the time. People are like, why are you here? You're wasting your time. You should have, st- you know, should have stayed in college. Like, and you, you, and you are like, dude, I did this for you. Like, this isn't for me. Like I didn't leave my life to come, you know, sleep on a crappy mattress for two years. Like <laughs> I did this because I thought you could benefit from it, you know? And, and I think, and, and so, you know, you have those feelings, you realize the amount of humility it takes to do selfless service like that. And I think that's one of the things I learned most about our savior is, is his humility. You know, the, to think that, you know, he paid the ultimate sacrifice, which we gave up two years of our life. He, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice and, you know, bled from every poor and suffered every pain and affliction that, you know, mankind could possibly know uh, to only be, you know, killed by the people whose sins and pains he, he just trying, suffered yeah. for, you know? And 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 you you understand that, um, you know, how, how Christ must have just looked at those people and just... Under, you know, just, they didn't understand, you know, here he was giving up so much, doing so much for them. They just didn't understand, but he didn't, you know, he didn't hate them for it. He didn't, obviously, obviously he, you know, said a lot of strong words against the Pharisees and the, you know, the Sadducees and people, the, you know, the people who killed him, but it didn't, you know, he still did what he did. He still suffered for their sins. He still, you know, was humble enough to suffer the will of the father and, and I think that was a big thing I learned is just this understanding of selfless service that, you know, it's not about, it's not about you. It's not about what you gave up, you know, you're only doing it for other people. And, and that's what, you know, that's what, that's how Christ does service is, you know, it's not about him. It's not about what he's given. Yeah. He never internalized it. And not only that, but he asked for them to be forgiven. He's, and 
it was so powerful. The forgive them. They know not what they do. Right. Like that phrase hit me so many times when someone was going off on me or told me right. I was going to hell for what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm trying to help you. Yeah. I'm really trying. Like I had a pretty good life, dude. You know, yeah. like as much as you want to, you know, feel sorry for yourself and yeah. Yeah. We definitely have, like, we don't talk about enough, but like we have an amazing savior and he's a very personable savior yeah. and he loves us and going on a mission is a great way. You don't have to go on a mission to get to know your savior better, but it's a great way to have that experience. There's this, sure. there's this quote by, um, Jeffrey R. Holden that he gave at the MTC. I'm sure you saw the video. There's like, you know, they, they like made this video into a ton of mashups, but uh, Elder Holland gives us oh, idea that, you know, he's mission work in the atonement. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, it's um, fantastic. as, as missionaries, you get a, you know, stand, you get to work, you know, with Jesus Christ, like you're doing his work, a teacher and Elder Holland gives us the idea that, you know, if you're doing his work, then why shouldn't you experience a little bit of what he experienced, you know, that, and, and I think you shouldn't avoid those things because how else are you supposed to learn Jesus Christ's character if you're not experiencing a little bit of what he experienced, you know, how else are you supposed to get to know your savior if you don't ever experience pain, you don't ever experience heartbreak or rejection. It's every time you feel, you know, those sad emotions or something like that, you're only learning something new about your savior. And, and so truthfully, you know, you should be grateful for those opportunities because that's, you know, it's only bringing you closer to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's so hard in the moment, but that's that, like, that's the truth. And like the truth can hurt sometimes, but it's out of love. Yeah. You know, even when, like you were saying when Jesus was correcting the Pharisees and, and the Jews, like, you're saying some really harsh things. Right. It was out of love. Right. It wasn't ever to hurt them or right. he wanted them to grow and to come back to him. Yeah. It wasn't ever payback. It wasn't, let me hurt your feelings yeah. because you're doing this mean thing to me. Yeah. So wrapping up, um, what advice, we, I guess I got two. What advice would you give to someone going on a mission, maybe specifically to the mission that you served in? And then what advice would you give to someone coming home? Because coming home from a mission is hard too. Yeah. Um, so for a missionary going out, especially someone who's going to a different culture, maybe a third world, you know, country is to jump in with both feet because, uh, that, that was a big thing I learned is I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of holding on to, uh, not necessarily my life. Like I wasn't like always trying to communicate with my friends, but it's kind of like this funny thing where, you know, like my deodorant I bought from the United States, like. I really wanted to make it last, you know, like I, really, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to share that with like my Latino companions or, you know, I had all these things that these cards and things that my sister gave me or something like that, that, you know, I was really trying to like cherish and, you know, hold on to, to remind me of home. And, you know, so, so I think I would, I would say I had a hard time, you know, I think the first two weeks of my mission were just terrible. Like, I think, I think that's the best kept secret in the church. It's hard. Is how terrible the first two weeks <laughs> are your mission. Like I remember just staring out of the window, you know, in the morning during exercise time, and just being like, I cannot believe that I had to do this for two years. Like this is oh yeah, so you, hard. One, never count the days. Never say yeah. like, I got two, like just one day at a time. Yeah. That's life. One day at a time. But I was, I was serious. Like this is no one told me this was so hard. And I like, you know, I graduated from seminary. Like I did all the scripture mastery. Like I was prepared, you know, like I was doing this and it's not like I just woke up one day. I was like going on a mission, you know, but that was was a cool idea. And, and I think what solved that problem for me was just jumping in with both feet, just saying like, I'm not, you know, I'm not McKay Randall anymore. Like I'm not like this American guy. Like, like, let me try to become an Ecuadorian, you know, like, let me buy some of their hair gel. Let me shop here and figure out how to live here. Like, let me unpack my suitcase and put my clothes in, you know, the closet at my house and like, you know, make it your home, like figure out how to, you know, become like embrace that new part of your life and just let go of whatever, you know, you're kind of holding on to whatever, you know, things. Yeah. You're trying to stay connected with at home. And that's not to say, you know, don't email your mom or whatever, but just, yeah, just dive right in to, um, you know, embrace the culture and, and embrace like the new you, you know, let yourself like become the new elder or sister or so. Yeah. So, um, so that's coming on the mission. Jump in it. Yeah. Jump in it. Uh, coming home, jump out, jump no. right out, <laughs> start. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say, uh, focus on goals. Cause on your mission, you get really good at working with goals. And, um, and that's like super awesome. You know, you spend 18 months or two years, like learning how to 
come up with goals, learning how to do plans to meet those goals. So I would, it's a lot harder to have goals outside of the mission because, because yeah. everything in the mission is so like, you can measure it so easily. Like you can count how many lessons you had. You can count how many people got baptized. Like it's really easy to set goals. When you come home, it's like, get married and, or, you know, that. get like, yeah. Uh, how does, you know, what are the millions of steps I take to do that? Or, you know, get this degree, you know, what are all the steps I do to that for, for that? And, um, and so I would say, you know, even though it's hard, figure out little goals, you know, and they don't have to be like perfect goals. They don't have to be like, these are the 10 goals that are going to make my life perfect. You know, yeah. just, just find things you want to accomplish and do them. You know, like if it's, if it's like 50 push ups a day or something like do set that goal, you can measure it. It's good for you. You're going to feel great if you do it. It'll keep you in this attitude of set goals, meet goals, be productive, yeah. be productive. And eventually you'll get better in the outside of the mission, like figuring out how to measure your success and figuring out what goals to set. But, uh, that's a huge benefit. Like I wish that's, and I'm saying that as someone who didn't do that, like I wish I would have, you know, stuck to just have being really good at setting goals. Yeah. Awesome. That's great advice. McKay, thanks again for coming on. I was, I was reflecting on this and this has been like in the making for like a year, basically like yeah, this interview. At least. <laughs> so it's been, it's been overdue, but I'm glad that we finally got you on. And typically we wrap up with, with a little testimony in, in uh, your native or your native, your, your mission call language. Oh, you, really you, you mind sharing a little something? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be a little embarrassed with how bad my yeah. accent is, but, uh, say que Jesucristo vive y que Jesucristo realmente es nuestro salvador. Sé que él sufrió por nuestros pecados y por medio de su expiación podemos ser limpios y podemos regresar y vivir con nuestro Padre Celestial. Sé que las familias son eternas y son una parte importante del plan de Dios. Sé que Dios quiere que nosotros seamos felices, pero también quiere que nosotros aprendamos durante esta vida. Sé que esta vida es un tiempo de probación y uh, es por experimentar diferentes cosas y, y tener desafíos para que podamos aprender y saber más en las eternidades. Uh, sé que José Smith fue un profeta, que realmente el libro de Mormón es... Uh, es verdadero, viene de Dios y sé que uh, la iglesia es dirigido por un profeta llamado por Dios y que al seguir las enseñanzas de Jesucristo podemos encontrar la felicidad que queremos en esta vida. Y digo esas cosas en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amén. Amen. Okay, thanks again for coming on. Thank you.